Welcome to the Guys Drinking Tea Podcast. If that sounds like a casual conversation to you, then you're absolutely right. We decided to start this podcast because, frankly, we just love talking about the scriptures and exploring how they interact with our everyday lives. These are the kind of conversations we were having in the hallway anyway every week, so we decided to turn on a camera and a microphone and let you listen in. If this content's helpful to you, then we would greatly appreciate it if you leave us a review in your podcast service, hop over on YouTube, subscribe to us there, like, comment, share with friends, all of those things. Without any further ado, let's dive into another sometimes meandering conversation about the scriptures and life. Hello, everybody. Time for tea. Let me just make sure our mics are actually on. Hey, look, I see bouncing lines. That's usually a good sign on this particular situation. Means. Does it matter if they're green or red or yellow? No, they're good. Okay. We're You're good okay. to go. I love it. Welcome, everyone. We uh, we have this this fun hook today of uh, is Christianity nonsense or does Christianity make sense? Um, kind of not sometimes. Kind of not sometimes. I like it. So it's a robust defense. Set <laughs> uh, for an apologetic. So, so, but but it's this really weird week where we were kind of doing our short prep time, which is not particularly long given how busy we both are, uh, and and neither of us preached at South, our home church, this week. Um, and so usually that's not the case. And if it's not usually the case, usually we invite someone in to that conversation. That was a very kind way of saying Aaron dropped the ball and didn't invite Dan. <laughs> <laughs> and so Dan had another meeting. So Dan... So I appreciate you trying to give me a little pass of like... Whoever was supposed to do that didn't do it. It was definitely me. Um, and, and so Dan, our <laughs> pastor of care, our legendary pastor of, of legacy, of history, of all these different things. I wonder if we're supposed to blur out brands or something. Maybe, like I don't this. know. Since we're such a hugely <laughs> successful podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We've really put get... a lot of effort into becoming very successful. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, he, so, so Dan preached, and he did a wonderful job, but it was neither of us. And the way you listened to something, well, you were busy, so I don't think you managed to hear much I did, of anything. I had a baby in the lobby yeah. situation. So. so This is how chilled out this podcast is. You can have a baby in the lobby. So you should bring the baby to the podcast. Yeah. Um, and I was there, actually. I listened to both services for the most part, I think, for the whole thing. But um, it was definitely um, different to preaching it yourself. Uh, so, so Dan brought all this beautiful wisdom around this this passage in this book, Corinthians. Um, so if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, and if you are, wow, you ended up on this podcast. That's a strange place to be. But if you are unfamiliar, Corinthians is a letter written by a guy called Paul in about 53 AD. And so can I do story time for a little bit? So I would, just, uh, Can you please tell me the story? Because I've not actually talked about Corinthians on this podcast. No. So right? this is actually sort of going to cover both... Dan's message and give us a little bit of context for the rest of the yeah. series. So, so once upon a time, yeah, once once upon a time there was a city. So 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 once upon a time there was a city, and there still is a city called Corinth, uh, at least in some form. Yeah. Um, and, and so this this is a city, maybe 140 BC, super decadent. It's got all of these different cultural things going on. Uh, one Greek. Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the. Is it Draco, the author? No, that doesn't sound quite right. Um, but one of the historians says, like, when I went to Corinth, 
There was like a temple with a thousand prostitutes. It was all of these different things. It was like the Las Vegas of the ancient world. Yeah, in your first message, you called it both the New York, the Las Vegas, the Los Angeles. Los it's Angeles. all, yeah, it's all of those. It's it's everything, and and even more so probably in 140 BC. In 140 BC, it's 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 yeah, it's full of licentiousness, full of all these different behaviors. Um, a very un-Jewish place is probably the important thing. Mm. Uh, and then it's destroyed by the Romans in 140 BC, but it's just too important not to exist. It's one of those places that it just makes too much sense. I'm, I'm trying to think of a modern equivalent for us today because in America, there probably isn't one. Like there's, there's some cities that you're like, that just, there just has to be a city there. Mm. Um and, and and we've got New York City, but it's in a weird spot, really. Like, there's no reason for it to be particularly where he is. It's actually very inconvenient. It's Manhattan's on this tiny island, completely restricted for space. Uh, and you kind of have moments when you look at it, and you're like, who put the biggest city in America there or the most, you know, foundational city in America? There? Americans. Americans. <laughs> Way to go. Way to go, guys. Way to go, Washington. Um, uh, and, and so Corinth occupies this point in the Mediterranean Ocean, where when you need to move all of these goods from Asia through to Italy, to Rome, to the capital, if you get to this point and have to go around this cape, ships just get destroyed by this bad weather. I mean, they just get wiped out. And so there's this saying, like, if you have to sail the cope of, or whatever it's called, I can't remember, give up all thoughts of home. Like, just be glad when you get home, but you probably won't. Um, and, and so in about 44 BC, Julius Caesar says, we're going to rebuild Corinth. It's a town in Greece with deeply Roman heritage. Uh, and then because of all the money that sailors bring to the city, that tradesmen use to use the, the route across land, it's just got tons of cash. It's just cash heavy. Um, so it's, it is that, that, that makes it very much the Vegas of the day, the Los Angeles of the day in terms of that's a port city where loads of goods come in. Um, and it's a transitional city. So it's kind of like these, these sailors are like away from home oh, and what totally. happens yeah, in Yeah. Yeah. What happens in current space in current. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, and, 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 and one famous captain actually specifically said not for every man is a journey to Corinth. Like it's, it's got some risk to it. So, so this is the place that Paul will bring the message of a Jewish rabbi who died on a cross and he says came back to life again. Like, so can you, I mean, imagine that, like uh, the Jesus story is so well known now that, that, that you can never get a direct illustration, but it's like walking into Las Vegas and saying, let me tell you about this new religion. Uh, and how do you even, how do you even grab anyone's attention above the noise? I mean, I mean, like there's there's parties going on everywhere in every casino. People are up till six o'clock in the morning and sleeping till one, and like, it's just go 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 go. Um, so this is this is kind of gives you a picture of like trying to capture people's attention in this town. Uh, and Paul arrives with this message of Jesus uh, and says, "This is this is the the true wisdom of the world, essentially, or wisdom of God." Yeah, the true wisdom of God. Sorry, yeah, like yeah. this. Or, or yeah, I mean, the the world was like the yeah. the core wisdom. Like this is like the this real is the thing. Wisdom. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he appeals to sort of the philosophical side in a lot of. Well, we get some hints at that. Yeah, when yeah. We hear about but, Acts seven. Yeah. But but really, it's. I mean, the first point is it's just so un-Jewish. 
So, so for Paul, he'll have all of these conversations throughout this letter. And, and in a couple of weeks, if you're at South, like prepare for the at least PG-13 rated because we're, we're doing like the sexuality aspect of Corinth. Uh, to a Jewish person, there was a fairly decided and very strong ethic of sexuality. Like th this is just what was practiced. It was, it was deeply heterosexual and, and, and at least from the woman's part, it was deeply monogamous. So in Jewish culture, men could have plenty of, of wives, but, but a woman only had one man. And, mm -hmm. and so, so Paul brings that framework to Corinth, like this is normal behavior. And he gets to Corinth and, and suddenly, uh, Corinth, <laughs> anything, anything goes in Corinth. Yeah. Um, so, so that happens on multiple levels. Like he's bringing a message to Corinth that is completely not Corinth. Um, and, and, and with Paul, like as, if, as you get to know Paul, if you've read any of his, his work before, he doesn't do compromise very well. He's not like in, when you think of like seeker friendly concepts or whatever of like how you can like, you know, make, let's make this message of Jesus palatable. It's, I remember being a kid wanting to do that. I remember my friends asked me like, you know, if you follow Jesus, does that mean he says you can't have sex before marriage? I was like, oh, no, no, I don't think that's in the Bible anywhere. <laughs> because I knew like for them, it was like, if it is, I'm, I'm out, like I'm done. And, um, and Paul, Paul's not, yeah, he's just kind of matter of fact, says how it is. Yeah. So, so he, he arrives in, in this town and, and shares this message. And perhaps the startling thing that doesn't get acknowledged is some people actually respond. Yeah, it's in that environment that this church is planted. Right. Mm. And now and they have this season where they sit under him. And for some reason, the message of the gospel, which maybe we should ask why that's the a message question. of the gospel catches root in this city. Mm -hmm. And then he goes on his travels and then he hears some rumors about what's going on in the church. And that's when he writes this letter. Yes. Yeah. And, 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 and let's put it like this. Not all the things that were going on in the church were swell. Yeah, <laughs> swell. It's <laughs> swell is such a swell word. Um, yeah, he he arrives and he shares the message, and then this is him writing a couple of years later to to try and 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 to try and whip the, the church into shape, um, and and there just there is the crux of the letter. Really, most of Paul's letters have this deep, they have this deep pastoralness to it. They are written for a purpose to a specific group of people. We've taken them over the years and, and we can talk about why, like it's inspiration. It's God pulls this group of letters together and we get it as this, this Bible text. But at least originally it was to a church, although Paul says this should go to every church that you know of. But, but it's very, very contextual. It's very much about this city has needs. And and I want to try and correct some stuff. And so it seems like what has happened is this is is that Paul has come and, and grown the church. And now, over the years, a couple of things have happened. They've found uh, leaders that they like better than Paul, and they've found a wisdom that seems different to Paul's. Um, or it probably just makes a little bit more sense to them, given yeah. the city they're in and and the context that they're in, like. There was something about the gospel that compelled them originally, but then as they're sitting in their city and they're trying to, they're trying to make 
what they heard from Paul makes sense in their context and they're hearing other philosophies and all these other things, they're like, well, what if we just tweak this a little bit or then, oh, then maybe this aligns and then they're just trying to make the gospel that they originally heard make sense in their and, and context. And their, their, essential, their, their essential response, as, as maybe Paul characterizes the whole Greek response, is the gospel doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Um, these are a group of people that believe the body didn't matter for the most part. There was a spirit thing that was going on somewhere. Yeah, spirit's super important. Yeah. But the body's just like a, this hunk of meat that's floating around the world. Uh-huh. And it what it does is So you irrelevant. can do what you want with it. You can do what you want to it, and you can do what you want to other people's bodies too, and none of that matters. Like, it's just not important. And the idea that the God of the universe would live in a body. Yeah, what in the world was God thinking when he Why came, would you do that? He came into a body? Yeah. What? And, and support- Which is where a lot of these other heresies came around. Were like, oh, it was just a spiritual body yeah, that yeah, just floated yeah. around. It was actually not physical, and there's all these things, yeah. So, so Paul, Paul lands in this this place where he's he says, like, maybe the key text, and, and maybe you've got it there, is, is yeah, in this passage that Dan used this week, is is the gospel is is foolishness to Greeks. Here we go, yeah. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And then he goes down specifically, where's the Greek There we go, here? yeah, 23, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Greeks. So, so really, like, the heartbeat of that is if God lived in flesh, he wouldn't die on a cross to a Jewish person. Like they've got this old verse, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He's certainly not doing that if you're Jewish. Mm-hmm. And and he's not living in flesh anyway if you're Greek. Like, why would God put himself in that place? God is spirit, God totally. is separate. And now you're telling me he's in the flesh, in Jewish flesh, in this backwater town, and he's dying and then thinks the body is important enough that it would get resurrected again. So ev- everything Paul is sharing with them culturally is nonsense. So what's interesting is one is like, uh, is a little bit, so the Greeks, they're a little bit nervous about the gospel because it's too earthy. Yeah, too earthy, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's too physical. Yeah. And the Jews are ironically a little bit um, concerned about the gospel because it's not earthy enough. They're expecting an earthly kingdom with an earthly king that sets up an actual dynasty. Mm -hmm. It's not earthy enough. And there's the spiritual kingdom that God ushers in initially. And they're like, no, that we want like an actual king on a horse with a sword kind Mm. of thing. Well, that's probably the wrong context, but yeah, 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 you know, you know what I mean? So, and both of them are like, no, this isn't computing. God doesn't become physical for the Greek and, and, um, the king we're looking for for the Jew is is an actual physical king like David was. That's mm. what we're expecting. So ironically, it's like this disconnect between with how earthy or not earthy enough these two parties think that the gospel should be. Yeah, super fascinating. Yeah, and 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 so this this wisdom question will will linger around. And I think so. so like, I think I think my intriguing question for us is. When you think about your faith, when you think about what it is to follow Jesus, like how does like the intellectual process of needing stuff to make sense work for you? 
Um, that's hard, yeah. Be, because I think that that like has has slipped into some of our culture. Like I think we're a lot like Corinth in lots of ways. Like mm. even even like with our obsession, like when we talk about heavenly stuff, we'll say stuff like, "Oh, isn't it great? He's with Grandma now," and they're probably like doing some like spirit thing somewhere. Like the idea of physical resurrection has almost become a little bit in the church today, a little bit of a struggle. We we don't necessarily go there. So I think there's that whole like comfort with spirit, but not really sure about God actually caring about what we do with our bodies and stuff like that. That's language that I've started to hear quite a lot more recently. Totally. Uh, which is fascinating. And then we've started to think through like, and this is a conversation we touched on a little bit the other day, like virtue and doing something like having a principle should have a good outcome too. Like it should be, if I do this, God should, should reward it with this. If I live in this way, this should go well. Yeah. Like, like, uh, virtue and uh, character should be like this, this wall of switches that you turn on. Like, yeah. If I am a good boy, I flip this switch. That means I'm a good boy. And then the lights turn on. And then at the end, it's ding, 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 ding. ding. You win the I prize win. and everything. Yeah, I yeah, go yeah. to the good place uh-huh. and live in bliss yeah, forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and one, like, t- to to a uh, a Jewish person, resurrection at least was a deeply, to Paul especially, resurrection is a deeply physical thing. Uh, and he'll talk about this. And the body matters. And he'll even say things like, like at one point, and I don't think we'll cover this in the series, he has this conversation around communion. And he's like, not respecting the communion thing, the flesh thing, is making you sick. Your body is a mess because you're not entering into that in a healthy way. You're doing something physical, and it's got a physical response, and all of that's connected to a spiritual thing. And that, okay, so if we slow down here for a second, maybe... This is one observation that maybe will help some of you to realize, like, this this physicalness of the Christian faith is one of the unique aspects yeah. of this compared to other philosophies and religions that exist in the world today. Um, you know, Christianity doesn't have a corner on spiritual language and spiritual things and ha- this metaphysical sort of stuff. Absolutely. One of the things that, that the fact that God became flesh incarnate and came to this world and to redeem the physical stuff of this world mm. and our bodies cares about these sorts of is a pretty unique mm-hmm. um religious idea in the world today compared mm-hmm. to other religious things um yeah. uh, and even philosophical worldviews um that i think that that's super interesting in our day and age today because we want to do this separation of spirit and flesh and christianity is constantly fighting to bring spirit and flesh back together yeah super fascinating yeah so so this whole question of like for us or for the greeks and, and probably for us as well we're like well that physical stuff doesn't make sense like that doesn't seem like the way it should work um, like there's got to be this thing that's mystical behind the scenes. And and we know flesh, it's ordinary, it's it disappears, it breaks down, it does all of these things. Um ideas of resurrection are nonsense. Uh and and 
the question is like what what gives us a framework for figuring out what real wisdom is or real truth is is it our intellectual process that ends up saying no that makes sense that's a framework i can get on board with or, or is it just as paul would say which is like if god says it that's wisdom like like paul's simplicity there is just like no, no this is the story that i was given and it doesn't matter what the process around your in your mind looks like it doesn't matter if you think it makes sense God says it, therefore it's wisdom. That That's very hard for us to hear as intelligent human beings that, that maybe think we've got it all figured out. Yes, totally. And I think there's some philosophical or logical assumptions that Paul has built into his argument that that it, it I guess you can make some sense out of it if God created the physical Mm -hmm. He gets a corner on telling us how the physical should work. Yes. Like I designed the atoms and the that make up your body, that make up the planet uh -huh. Earth. Yeah. And I know because I designed them how they all fit together in the most ideal possible scenario. And um, and I know how your psychology works and how your brain works and on and on and on. These are all the assumptions upon which Paul makes this statement, mm -hmm. like the wisdom of God. You can think it sounds like foolishness, and there may be some evidence that like may in your mind is fighting against that. But let's just be honest, the designer of it all, he kind of gets to say how it's going to function best. Mm -hmm. um, that's his assumption going into these arguments. Yeah. Super interesting. So, so for us today, how is the how do you see the gospel sounding foolishness like foolishness to us today? Mm. Um, well, well, I think I I wonder if the way I would answer that is is like moments where I've had intellectual challenge and like where I say, huh, I feel like if I was doing it, it would have I would have done it like this. So, so like e even like basic premise, like like it's been a couple of thousand years since Jesus died and rose again. Like on one hand, like he makes it sound like there's some imminence to what's going to happen next. And then you land in this phase of like, I was still waiting. Like what happens if nothing's happened in another thousand years? What about another 2000 years? And, and the response to that in many ways is Peter's response in his letter. Like this follower of Jesus says, don't you know to, to God a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. I was just, so we, um, a group of guys that it meets this morning, actually we're in Isaiah 40. Mm. And I, if you feel that same challenge, I think Isaiah 40 is this massive answer to that in a lot of ways. Cause I felt the same way. Yeah. And it was a super big encouragement to me because Isaiah 40, like the whole book leading up to there is like, Israel's gone off the rails. Mm. They've screwed this up and this up and this up. Oh, by the way, all the nations have two. Mm -hmm. So judgment, 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 judgment. And the final judgment is they're in exile in Babylon. And then Isaiah 40 comes in and there's sort of like this lingering, I guess this experiment God had with Israel, is it's done, right? Yes. It, it failed. Like either we were so bad that we failed it and he ditched us or... God failed because he didn't succeed in it. And that's uh -huh. the question mark in Isaiah 40. And then God says, comes in and says, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold a minute. Comfort, comfort my people, which is actually like encourage, encourage yeah, my yeah. people. And then he, 
And then the prophet starts to declare the goodness, the glory, the majesty, the strength of God in this chapter mm. to say, no, the project is not is far yes. from complete. Yeah, yeah. Um, and buckle up because we're getting back in the game again. Yeah, absolutely. Post exile. But I think that that like that story that I love, I agree with you on that. That story up until maybe a hundred years ago felt like it was going somewhere with the world. Like it felt like progress was being made. All these different things are happening, and then you land in the back end of the 20th century into the 21st century. And he's like, what is going on here? Like this is this 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 whole thing's a mess. Like we're we're not getting better at stuff. We're getting worse at stuff. We we make the same stupid mistakes over and over and over and over again. Like the 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 it can feel at times, I think, especially if you're outside of church, of like, what is the left for this world just other than just to crumble apart and just like turn on itself, implode almost. Um Totally. So, so somewhere like that waiting of tension of like, what are you waiting for? Like, the, like what, what does it need to look like? And part, part of the reason why the gospel feels foolish is there is, if you live in this world in any generation, if we're honest, and you look at people die, mm -hmm. people suffer, there's different travesties and wars and rumors of wars and all of this challenge in the physicalness of this world and you're kind of like i had this faith structure and now it's conflicting with this massive amount of data that i'm seeing in my everyday life that says yeah it's not changing and, and isn't that interesting like how we i think just like there were greeks and jewish people that had this gospel problem i, I think we have this split in in the church now like, I think there's part of the church that's just given up on any conversation about lifestyle, any of those different things. Said, we're, we're going to throw ourselves into social justice. We're going to try and make the world better. We're going we're gonna to feed the poor uh, and the hungry. We're going to find houses for people. We're going to do everything that we can, and we'll, we'll get there in the end. But, like, there's, there's almost no language around personal living and what you do and all those different things. And then there's another wing of the church, which is, is, is a little bit more like the wing I grew up with in some ways. Like if we did good stuff, I felt like it was just so we had the right to tell people about what they were doing wrong. Um, and and uh, do you guys use the term gutter press over here? Like it's like the the low, like the the, yeah. the, the bad newspapers, the ones that are just like full of like gossip columns and stuff. Gossip yeah. press is maybe the language. Like someone said to me once, like the, ch the pastors are just like the gutter press. Like all they care about is other people's sex lives. Uh, oh, <laughs> like wow. there's just like, like all you want to do is tell me what I can do with my body. Uh, and that's just the language over and over and over again. Um, yeah. Did you look at the wrong thing? Did you touch the wrong thing? Did you? Um, and so I think that feels off to a whole bunch of people today as well. Mm -hmm. They see the macro. They see the starving. They see the, the the lack of resources. They see the brokenness. And if the church's message is only just don't sleep with your boyfriend or girlfriend, they're kind of like, yeah, I, is that really all God's interest? Like in? people starving out here, and yeah. you're trying to tell me where to spend the night. Uh huh. Exactly. Like the, there's like this this questioning intention yeah. there. Totally. Um, 
And 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 it's very rare that churches land well. So on what's both you, of those you unpacked things. one's extreme. What's uh, the other extreme? So the social justice extreme. Oh, okay. And the and the and the just simply don't. Do what are you the, doing in your personal life? Like what's going on behind your closed doors? Okay. So so like churches tend to drive into one direction or the other. I think. Um, and this is what I meant by when I said earlier that Christianity and the message of the gospel is taking the spiritual mm-hmm. and the physical and constantly yes. pulling them back to together. In fact, like even in, the, in Genesis in the fall, what you have is like the spiritual realm or the things of God or the uh, is and uh, the things of this earth that we see the physical stuff. It was like one place. Yeah. Yeah. That's Eden was this place where God walks with man, and there's like the spiritual realm and the physical realm are fully united. And part of what takes place at the fall is there's like the separation of the spirit dimension mm. and the and the earth dimension. And then the project God starts in the garden is to like reunite. Yeah, yeah. And if you look at the life of Jesus, what you see is it's like this this pocket of the spiritual realm and the physical realm working together this like venn diagram where mm-hmm. every where he walks he brings the kingdom of god in this unique way and there was like this guy's different he uh-huh. seems to be able to do both yeah yeah and that's his invitation and, to and that seems like so so paul's major thesis across corinthians seems to be flesh matters and spirit matters like you need both of them totally um and 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 it's fast so like thinking about that and i think there's a bunch of us that in different ways and maybe a little naively and I'm okay with being a little naive, feel like, oh, the early church had it right. Like, mm-hmm. and there's this all, uh, for those of you who don't, aren't familiar with the, like the, 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 the ecclesiological discussion of was the early church, was it juvenile or was it exemplary? Was it just learning or was it supposed to be copied? All of those different questions that come up. Yeah. The, there's this, there's this organicness to it that we quite often look back and say, that's what it's supposed to look like. And they, in lots of ways, even with all the problems of the Corinthians church, like historically they figured out a tension point between spirit and flesh that seemed to work in lots of ways. Yes, there was spirit. Yes, there was singing in spiritual songs. There was all these gatherings together that were essentially like connecting with something outside of this world. Mm-hmm. And yet when plagues came, they were the ones sat amongst the dying and the poor feeding them, giving them a good death. In actual fact, was a lot of the time all they could do when these huge plagues came through and wiped out uh, hundreds of people, thousands of people, and family members just left family members and said they're done for. The early Christians were the ones that were sat in the streets with these people caring for them. Somewhere this unique, you know, spirit's important, flesh is important, justice is important, ethics are important. They manage to hold all of these things together. And when the church gets it right, that seems to be when there's this supernatural move of the spirit in, uh, like, there was such a exponential growth of the early church yeah. in the world. And let's be honest, like, uh, if you look at history, the most influential person on the face of the planet in history was the Jesus of Nazareth. Yeah. And his ideas have shifted both the East and the West in such massive ways. He's the most famous person on the planet. Which which is fascinating, again, in terms of like our original premise, it doesn't make sense. 
like when when you think about the 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 Jesus we were told about in the in the Gospels, never wrote a book, never wrote a song, never traveled more than a couple of hundred miles from his hometown, like never built an army, never gathered more than twelve really close followers. Um, never had people fight for him. Like all of the the, the, the the thing is just so counterintuitive. But what he did do is he introduced humanity back to this tension and this this invitation to to steward both spirit and flesh mm. in the way they were designed yes. to be stewarded. So we, I think we've done a decent job articulating. And maybe you're out there and you're listening to this. You're like, yeah, I feel that. Like. I felt the world's going, you know, falling apart and and yeah, Christianity kind of sounds crazy and stuff. So make a case. What is beautiful about this uh this the story of a God who comes in flesh and dies on behalf of humanity? So, so like this text talks so, about. So I think the the thing I come back to, this is a personal thing. I'm not saying this is something that I'm not saying this is maybe maybe there's something the Bible touches on or, or some of the writers touch on. The counterintuitiveness is part of the attraction to me, I think. Mm. Like so 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 it's the humble God story. Like every other leader wants to make themselves bigger and more important. And and I would say that's true of religions as well. Um and and so the story is of God making himself less. That that's not how you write stories. It doesn't make any sense. Like it just so so that like that entering into a a story that doesn't make sense actually in my mind makes sense to me. Well, okay, I'm so, compelled by that. So I'll raise a, a red flag. Okay, here. yeah. Um, because someone might be out there like, no, that kind of like hero stories all over the place. Um, there's like a, a hero who like self sacrificial and stuff, and they 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 die on behalf of a good friend or something in the movies and theater and all these sorts of things. So that statement, no, that, that exists so, so in all sorts of things. I don't things. think the death in place of people is a thing. is is unique. Like I think that actually is something that you see often because it mirrors the Jesus story. Well, that's what I was getting you know, that, at. That, that, I like, think that that, that hero's journey, that part of a hero's journey uh-huh. is probably only because of the gospel. It was fair like like the 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 choosing yeah. weakness and all those different things were fairly uncommon outside the Jesus story. Like almost uh-huh. no examples yeah, yeah, it's like, of it. You know, ever. you make yourself stronger, yeah. you make yourself yeah, yeah, it, it's it's a pretty intrinsically linked. Yeah. But but I'm also not sure like that there's many stories that again predate the Jesus story of intentionally making yourself less, like hiding your power and majesty or actually surrendering it to to live a lower life that that's actually fairly like the there's stories of greek gods that do something like that in order to get something for themselves um but but to give that's not really a thing yeah that, there might be say, samples of stories where they they do some sort of self because it was more of a group think kind of culture, they may sacrifice for the group, but Perhaps. it's still to get my tribe to win. Yeah, but but he, and even but, still but, but so much of like you read so many of the 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 god stories that predate Jesus, and I'm especially thinking about Roman Greek pantheons. Like there's all all these stories about Zeus who would be there and he'd see 
a pretty girl and be like, okay, I'm going to make myself human for a second so I can do all of the things I want to do down there. And then I'm back to being a god. Yeah. Like, like it's just like a quick descent just for my own reasons. And then I'm off again. Yep. The idea of coming and giving and sacrifice is, is just, it's just not really there. Uh, and then the other, the other compelling thing I think for me is the gray story. Um, because that's not really there either. Like the idea that God forgives simply because of what he does with no imperative on you to do anything is, totally. is pretty unique in, in the world. And, and that apparently is a, a conversation that actually happened. Apparently a, a bunch of theologian, theologians of all different religious streams gathered together uh, and, and uh, were discussing what Christianity's unique gift was. And, and the, the maybe apocryphal story goes that in the middle of all this big argument and kerfuffle, they had all these different ideas and not agreed on anything. And apparently C.S. Lewis wandered in and, and said something like, there's only a British person kind of like, what's all the rumpus about or something like that? And, and they, they told him what the discussion was. And, and his reply was, oh, it was grace. Like that, that, that's the unique contribution. The discussion that God takes forgiveness on himself. And I think that's compelling to me. I think because it recognizes my own inability to to produce something worthwhile of forgiveness. Like it just, it, it takes it out of my hands, which I think I feel the need for. I feel it to be true in my own experience. Yeah. Yeah. And for some, for some people, it's... Um if you've tried to quote unquote save yourself in whatever category you're talking about, whether it's like make my own way in the world, it, maybe that would be what you'd consider salvation. Mm. Experience as many pleasures in the world as possible. There's a story of Solomon, you know? Yeah. Uh, you, you may have ventured out and attempted this in a dozen different ways. And like Solomon, he's like a great example of someone who probably tried his best to experience everything he mm. could possibly experience as a human being. And then he comes back to this, like, none of that counts. Yeah. And then, um, but this, uh, there is this staying power that the gospel of Jesus has that's unlike anything else. And I believe that it's partially because of this unique ability that the message of Jesus has to, has to explain both the physical and the spiritual world that starts to like, okay, there's a bunch of counterintuitives if I look at it at face value, but then when you get below the surface of the gospel, it's just to explain like, oh, this is why this works and this, mm. and why my body and my, my soul feels like there's something more, but then it also explains how to care for my body and all these things all in one mm. message. And I think that, that the full circle for me is like, I think for me, intellectually, finding Jesus required removing some roadblocks. There were some intellectual totally. struggles that needed to clear. And yet, ultimately, there was no final intellection of the decision. Like there's something about jumping into a faith story, maybe of any kind, but, but we're talking about the Jesus story, that, that requires some kind of faith step and 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 that might just be like the same as a farmer takes when he buries a seed in the ground and and he covers it over and, and really like you have to wait to see if it grows but you can't you can't know 
for definite. Like there isn't the certainty. There's the theories. There's all these different things. It totally. takes all these different elements. You kind of know what they are, but but it, it is. In the end, it's not about it just making sense. Yeah, and there's a lot about Christianity that does make sense. Uh-huh. If even scientifically yeah, now, totally. the more the time goes throughout history, we start to like validate certain like yes. oh Jesus said that like praying's important and solitude is important. And we're like, oh, and you yeah, try they are. and you're like psychologists like, hey, we should meditate more because yeah. there's ev- scientific evidence that the way of Jesus is actually effective. Even like wow, the, wow, wow, the, wow. The Big Bang was deeply troubling to some scientists. Because they were like, wait, our whole premise was the universe has been here forever. And now we're saying it's got a start point. Totally. And if it's got a start point, how do you prove there's not a starter? Like, ha- totally. how do you, like, the, there's, there's aspects to, like, modern science that are, that are so helpful and supportive. And, and even the existence of modern science stems from this premise that Christians had that if God created all the physical stuff, then part of knowing God was part of knowing what part of that was to understand the physical stuff. Mm-hmm. So there was like this fearless entry into the scientific studies because it was actually a theological exercise rather than a scientific exercise. And so we, we can uh, thank a lot of uh, followers of Jesus for pursuing the sciences initially, but I totally agree with you at some point you may say, well, I'm going to try this piece of Christianity and this piece of Christianity and this piece of Eventually, there's going to be one, a challenge um, that Jesus says, by the way, I I think that the best way of living involves this. And mm. you're like, oh. Yeah. And until you believe and maybe have experienced the way of Jesus in a few other ways, and you're starting to trust him over and over and over again to be right on every account. Yeah. So I'm going to try this on. And in a couple of weeks, sexuality might be one of the big ones oh, that's hard man, yeah. because um, there's our very physiology is screaming to do a whole bunch uh-huh. of things as far as sexuality is concerned. And that, and that, that is counterintuitive. Yeah. Like that, that, your physiology that, says one thing and then the way of Jesus says another thing. And you're like, so I'm supposed to fight against my own biology. Yeah. My biological urge is this direction. Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, well, actually, the best expression of it is over here. And you're like. And somewhere he's, somewhere his argument might just be my ethic, how I've called you to live, is, is above how you might feel about it and, and, and what might be easy or give you the desired outcome, which is that's a challenge. Like that, that's because I want to feel good mm-hmm. and I want a good outcome. Like those are my goals a lot of the time. Um, and sometimes mm-hmm. those aren't. And so uh, I just think about this phrase maybe to close with is, I remember this moment where Jesus is saying some crazy stuff. He's teaching, um, saying some crazy stuff about blood and drinking and all this stuff. <clears throat> and it's freaking out the Jews because they're, uh, culturally, they're not. And then uh, all the crowds start to leave. Yeah, And he turns to his disciples and says, are you going to leave too? And Peter is kind of already in that place of surrender. And he goes, I I mean, you alone have the words of eternal life. Where else am I supposed to go? Mm. Like, I don't get it. All the stuff you were just preaching about is totally wacky and Uh, crazy. And it sounds insane to me. But where else am I supposed to go? You alone Uh, Now now the hard part for us, I guess, (laughs) is, is now that we... We're so ingrained in the story. Even phrases like drinking your blood. We're like, oh yeah, that kind of makes, makes sense. sense. Like bizarrely, I've often thought like 
Mo- most Christians would have more problem if I told them to drink whiskey than if I told them to drink blood. Yeah. Because they're like, that. I've got the metaphor there. <laughs> I yeah. like that. Like, totally. You told me to drink what? <laughs> so when we share what we have, what we've experienced, there's so it's so easy to share it in a way that's just like, oh yeah, this is normal. And there's a whole bunch of other people that are like, yeah, I don't know. Totally. Um, and, and there is some of the beauty of our story. Well, we survived not hearing all of Dan's message or preaching the message or all of those different things. Yeah, we did. Um, Like, subscribe, do all those things. iTunes, reviews are always helpful. Um, But thanks for letting us meander through Corinthians with you. Yeah, Um, and I'm not sure if I even... Oh, I closed my window to shut this off. So we just... It's just going to be on now um, until I can find a web browser (laughs) (laughs) to shut this off. So now you just I have could, to listen to me. I could just me. sing a song or something. You or should. Tell a joke or, I don't know. All right, I'll just have to go up to my computer and shut I up. I love it. Okay. Bye, everybody. Bye. Well, thanks again for listening, and we hope that that was a helpful conversation for you. We'd love to interact with you about this. So feel free to leave comments, questions, all that sort of thing, and we'll try our best to get back to you when we can. Have a great day.